I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Um, okay, can you... Hi, and welcome to Radio Motherboard. This is Jason Kebler, and we've got our managing editor, Adrian Jeffries. Hello. And Charles Duan. Hi there. Charles, who are you? Who am I? Um, I work at an organization called Public Knowledge. Um, we focus on tech policy issues like copyrights, patents, um, net neutrality, telecom policy, so all of the cool internet stuff that you know, everybody, everybody loves. Well, thank you for coming today. Um, we write about that all the time, and we're going to talk about a very narrow part of that tech policy today. But first, we're going to talk about fixing phones. Um, I was just at an electronics reuse convention in New Orleans, where uh, different repairmen and refurbishers and electronics recyclers were talking about what happens to your phone after it dies. Um, Often they are disassembled and like reassembled by some of these guys. Um, sometimes they're fixed, and sometimes they go into a trash can or are smelted. Um, and I have lost many, many phones um, by jumping into rivers or throwing them into the water. How many phones have you lost by jumping into rivers? One. And okay. I washed one, and I threw one at a wall once on purpose because I was upset and drunk. I have a waterproof phone. That's very smart. I lost like maybe four phones over the course of like six months during a tough breakup in college, uh, but I have not lost or destroyed <laughs> any phones since then. Is that because you were binge drinking or because you were throwing them at the wall? Um, well, I was throwing them at the wall because I was binge drinking, okay. I suppose. It's hard to say. But uh, there's this idea that goes around if you jump into a river with your phone, um, you can take it out of the river and then uh-huh. put it into what? A box of rice. Or like a bowl of rice. A bowl of rice. Or Rice under it and rice on top of it. You want to surround it with rice. And the rice will suck out the lake water. And, and that's the theory. That's the theory. And you see this all over the place. You see it on Google. Um, you know, my mom knows it. I came home one day and my mom had her phone in rice. And I was like, what are you doing? This was pre-me knowing this. <laughs> 
And I was like, what is going on right now? And she's like, I dropped my, I've washed my phone and I'm saving it. And it didn't work, but her phone ended up working, but not because of the rice. And we, Yeah, I did this with a phone of mine and it worked, so I thought it worked. Yes, and at that convention, I talked to Trent Dennison, who is a former nurse, who says that this is complete nonsense. And he learned this while repairing what? water damaged. No, I refuse to believe it. He is one of the only people in the United States that repairs water damaged phones, and it's he showed me yeah, how Yeah, so it's it. against his interest to have people fixing it themselves by sticking it in a bowl of rice. That's very true, but he has saved some phones that I think could not be saved by rice. <laughs> and rice doesn't make any sense. Why would you why would rice be able to save your phone? All right, how would let's rice hear what the expert yeah. says, this alleged expert? Yeah, okay. So I am here with Trent Dennison of ricesfordinner.com. Um, what is Rices for Dinner? So I started the website ricesfordinner.com because I'm in the phone repair business. People come to me with wet cell phones or, or formerly wet cell phones, and they tell me, you know, I, I Googled what to do with my phone that I dropped in the sink or the swimming pool, and um, it said to put it in rice, so I did. And it's been in this box of rice for a week, and it still doesn't work, so can you help me out? And I had so many of these people that um, I, I got the idea one day that I needed to make some type of a PSA blog or, or a message to people that rice is, is not going to help your cell phone. So it, it just came to me one day that, that this is an epiphany. Rice is for dinner, not saving wet electronics. Or rice is a food, not a tool. And it shouldn't be as part of your, your tool or your repair collection for fixing wet cell phones because it, it just doesn't work. So do you know where this myth came from? Like, why do people think that rice absorbs phones? Like, did it ever work at any point? I, I don't... Because, you know, you hear these kind of, like, uh, miracle stories where people say, I put my phone in rice and it worked. So why does that seem to work for some people? Like, what's happening there? Yeah, so I looked into that, actually, because I, I was curious myself. And um, I, while you, well, it's hard to track down an original, uh, this is the person that tried this first, and, and this is why uh, he says it works or she says it works. But you hear about the, the rice in the salt shaker, and in humid environments, the salt clumps together. And uh, so they put the rice in the salt shaker under the illusion, really, that the rice is going to absorb moisture so that the salt doesn't clump together. And in reality, it's more like the rice grains are so large and the salt grains are so small that when you're shaking that, the larger grains break up the clumps or prevent clumping from, from happening. Because the, the rice, it, it doesn't have an ability to absorb water from the air like silica gel or, or a true desiccant does. And um, because maybe perhaps of the, the rice in the salt shaker, people felt like, well, it works for salt, so that maybe it'll work for my phone. And so they, they have this idea that's, that, that sounds like it would it theoretically work, but rice will absorb water that's in contact with it. And when the water is inside your phone, but more importantly, underneath these metal shields that are on the logic board of your phone and the rice is on the outside of the phone, there's, there's just too, too many barriers for the water to get to the rice. 
and rice has no ability to make the water evaporate or suck the water out of the phone. That would be a pretty magic thing. <laughs> yeah, people feel like rice is a magic trick. Like it's this magical, it has this magical power of absorbing water from, from anything, and, and it will absorb the water in your cooking pot, and uh, it won't absorb the water in your phone. I mean, it, it literally is as simple as that, but there's 101 times 101 websites that all tell you, put your wet phone in rice, it works. And so for the people that, that feel like it works, it's really a matter of luck. The water was in the phone. The phone wasn't working. Now it is working. That means the water evaporated. It, it came out of the phone, but the rice played zero part in that role. Okay, so let's move on from the rice. If I drop my phone in the toilet or in a cup of water or spill something on it, what do I do immediately? Because I, I feel like the first few moments are really important. Is that true or not true? That's, what I, that's another myth or rather something I hear all the time. Well, maybe we should break down what's happening once your phone hits the water. And I've done a lot of research on this, and it, and it can get real scientific and real complicated, but the, the gist of it is that if you have two or more dissimilar metals, and in your phone there's, there's dozens of different types of metal, but predominantly you're going to have gold and copper and lead and tin from just the, the components of the logic board, and then there's some rare earth minerals, and there's, there's a lot of metals inside your phone. And when you have those metals in the presence of what you really shouldn't do is try and, and use the phone. Oh my gosh, I dropped it in the water. Does it still work? And they frantically start pushing buttons and turning it on and off. And, and what you're doing when, when you're doing that is, is firing up circuits inside the phone that otherwise had no electricity. But in the meantime, you've got this electrolyte that's surrounding your logic board that is a conductor of electricity, and now you're sending um, more voltage than a circuit may have the ability to handle through these, these electrical pathways and causing short circuits. So you, you really shouldn't try and use the device, and if you can, you need to remove the electricity. Don't plug it in. Don't charge it. Don't see if your computer sees it, and remove the battery if you can. So what's a reasonable amount of time to wait um, before you start trying again? Because you shouldn't immediately, you know, call you up and say, save my phone. Because sometimes phones get wet and they're fine. And, well, and that's the kicker, though. You don't, you don't know if they're fine until you try. But what if the water is still in the phone and then you try and now you've generated this electrical pathway with some short circuits because of the water and now you've actually ruined your phone? And so I, I tell people, really, they're... The one thing you should do if you can is remove the electrical component and then get it to somebody that can really professionally clean this phone as soon as you can. There, there is no other, there's no shortcuts to this. There's no taking it apart and taking a blow dryer to it or putting it in your oven. You hear all these things of, well, maybe so the rice doesn't work, so maybe you should take a blow dryer to the phone and generate some heat and cause the water to evaporate. But when you do this, you're not removing the corrosion. The corrosion exists on a microscopic level underneath some metal shields that are soldered to your logic board. And the only tried and true method of getting that corrosion out is to remove the logic board, unsolder those shields, run the logic board through a special machine known as an ultrasonic cleaner. It uses high frequency sound waves through distilled water with a special chemical to really scrub that corrosion off at a microscopic level. And there are components on this logic board that are referred to, they're microchips, but they're not soldered around the edges. All of the soldered connections 
sit beneath the microchip, so you can actually see it. This is referred to as a ball grid array. And when you get water underneath those ball grid array chips, it cause corrosion and it bridges these little solder balls. And there's no amount of rice or desiccants or thyme or scrubbing this with a toothbrush that's going to remove the corrosion under that chip. The only thing that will work is an ultrasonic cleaner. It's kind of ironic that you're saving wet devices with water. But uh, the, the process here is there's a transducer at the base of this ultrasonic cleaner that's basically projecting high-frequency sound through the tank of the machine. And when you have distilled water with a cleaning agent that's meant for electronics in uh, this tank, then the ultrasonic frequency is vibrating the water uh, at a level that really creates a process known as cavitation. And I don't want to go too much into what cavitation is. People can maybe Google that. But essentially, it's creating microscopic bubbles that uh, slowly expand and then rapidly uh, implode. And it's this implosion on a microscopic level that literally will scrub anything that the water is in contact with. Because this high-frequency sound wave is moving throughout this tank of water that your phone is inside of. And these little tiny bubbles are, are throughout this solution. So it doesn't matter if the corrosion is underneath a BGA chip or it's underneath a shield that you didn't desolder. This, this process is going to get to that corrosion. And it's going to, at the very minimum, loosen it up. Sometimes you do have to take a toothbrush and, or a gentle acid brush or something and, and gently brush the, the logic board. You told a story yesterday about... Um I believe it was you. Uh, someone put their phone in a wet bag basically to prove that rice was not, you know, rice isn't doing anything. And once the water damage has happened, if you put it in distilled water, it's no different really than putting it in, you know, something else. Can you tell that story again? Yeah, so that was me. And the situation was that I was at a conference in Las Vegas and I had a customer back where I live, which is about six six hour drive from Las Vegas who had contacted me and they they said, hey, I just uh, dropped my phone in the toilet and I'm really embarrassed about that, but can you help me out? And I said, well, I I would love to help you out, but I'm in Las Vegas, I'm six hours away and I'm gonna be here for another four days. So let's let me see if I can find somebody that can help you out. And in my area, I, I do work with a couple of other techs that I feel like they do a decent job, but they weren't available. And this customer had a wet phone that uh, is very time sensitive. I mean, you, your odds of success go uh, really through the roof if you can get to that wet phone soon. And by soon, I mean if it's still wet. Uh, I have never not been able to recover a phone fully that still had water in it. It's when the phone dries out and the corrosion is really set in that it really can become a challenge. And there are a variety of, of what I, I feel like they're just gimmicky uh, methods of drying a phone uh, there really boils down to call it they call it a dry bag and the theory there is this um, this tight sealed bag so the air can't get in with your phone and a desiccant similar to silica gel and maybe it is silica gel this will somehow save your your wet phone by getting the, the water out of your phone and, and the and it goes back to does rice do the same thing? None, there, there is nothing available on the market right now that will remove the, the water from your phone and stop the corrosion. 
there, there, there is a method of removing the water using a heat and a vacuum, but it doesn't address the corrosion. So what I told this customer to do is, you know, I'm not going to be back for four days, so, so put your phone in a Tupperware dish and get the highest concentration of rubbing alcohol that you can find. Uh, I believe she found 91%. And I said, just submerge your phone in the alcohol, put the lid on the container so the alcohol doesn't evaporate. And just let it sit until I can come back and and work on this for you. And so my theory there was that I knew there was water in the phone. I knew there was electrolytes in the phone. And somebody yesterday, as I was telling the story, they they had mentioned that, well, can't you just put it in water and and keep the phone wet? And and you can do that, and and maybe that's better than nothing. But tap water and and really all water has electrolytes and has dissolved sodium and potassium and and, um, phosphorus. And there's all these things that conduct electricity that's dissolved in water, and that's why water conducts electricity. Distilled water that doesn't have any electrolytes in it shouldn't conduct electricity. So technically you can maybe put it in distilled water and dilute the the electrolytes that are in the phone. But I I had this customer put in an alcohol because alcohol, it, it... There are no electrolytes in it. It will clean or or at least prevent corrosion from growing and potentially keep it in this this soft state that allows the corrosion to come off. Like the phone in a coma, almost. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, And so when I got back from Las Vegas, the customer had done exactly what I had asked them to do, and and they gave me a Tupperware dish full of alcohol and, and their phone. And I took it home, I took it apart, I ran it through the ultrasonic cleaner, which, by the way, I didn't see a lot of corrosion on this phone. And, and I really feel that it was because the alcohol came in, prevented the water from drying, prevented the corrosion from sticking, and uh, I did run it through my ultrasonic cleaner, I pulled the board shields off, and overall the, the, the electronics looked pretty good and so I ran it through the ultrasonic cleaner, I, I dried it off, I put it back together, and it worked. That's amazing. It's so, put your phone in alcohol, well, maybe, rather than rice. Well, certainly. I mean, you sh- there's no reason to put your phone in rice unless you just like to waste time, because that's really all that's going to happen. Cool. Thank you so much. So most of my time at this convention was not spent um, repairing phones, although I did take apart and put an iPhone back together. But... It was spent mostly talking about, are we going to be allowed to do this in the future? Because manufacturers do not want you to repair your phone. Uh, that's Apple and everyone else. It's, you know, it's Ford. They don't want you to repair their car, your car. It's Tesla. It's John Deere. Microsoft, to, Xbox. Yeah, it's everyone. They don't want you to open up the device. A lot of devices, actually, the warranty is voided the second you open it. Um, and Charles, I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about this so-called right to repair. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think what we've seen is um, a lot of manufacturers in in lots of different areas, in lots of different areas. You know, um, obviously consumer electronics, but also you know healthcare devices, tractors. Um, you know, um, Lexmark making, um, you know, printer toner cartridges, they all want to, um, you know, be able to control how you use their, um, their products, even after you've purchased them. You know, ordinarily, if I purchase like a hammer or something, right, if the, you know, if the head of the hammer falls off, I'm allowed to, you know, repair it, and I can fix it, I can, you know, um, use the hammer again. But for a lot of these um, newer devices, companies want to be able to say, no, no, we want to be the only ones who can repair it, because, you know, that way they, you know, they stand to make more profits off of the repairs. Um, and they found all sorts of different ways to um, to 
to force consumers into doing that. So, for example, um, there's a big case right now um, that's um, that's on appeal about whether or not they can use um, patents to say, you know, you're not allowed to um, to repair your device or to eat um, with with printer cartridges, even to use your printer cartridge twice, refill it. Um, and if you do that, then it's a patent violation. You know, we can sue you for lots and lots of money. Um, they've also used this anti-circumvention provision of copyright law. Um, and what they say is, well, you know, there's software inside the device, and that software is copyrighted. So if you use your device in a way that we don't like, if you try to repair it or you try to use it twice or something like that, then we can say that you violated um, that you violated a copyright provision um, by trying to do that. Even and though you're talking about the cartridge, which is a physical thing, and they're talking about software. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's really it's really kind of a weird stretch, right? You know, copyright is supposed to be covering things like books and movies and stuff, you know, not not printer cartridges. Yet, a lot of these companies want to be able to use um copyright and and patent laws um in order to prevent people from from just using their um using their devices. It's a really big problem for like Internet of Things devices because you know, they all have software on them and companies want to be they able also to all break all the time. Yeah, and you know, companies <laughs> want to be able to say, you know, if it breaks, we're the only ones who can fix it. Um you're not allowed to fix your own stuff. And they found lots and lots of ways to do that, including um, you know, intellectual property law, contracts, um, you know, those like and here's the license agreements that you click, um, that, you know, are five hundred pages long and nobody ever reads. Um, you know, lot lots and lots of places that they try to make sure that you can't do what you want with your stuff. Is There's... this is this purely because they want to make money off repairs or is there also like a liability issue if you're like fixing your own car or something? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. That could like later kill someone and be involved in a lawsuit or something like that. That's yeah. what they argue, but um, you know, Apple is arguing that with their phones as well, that it could be a safety issue, and that's quite a stretch. It's pretty hard to hurt yourself repairing your phone. I mean, the battery could explode if you start <laughs> mm -hmm. jacking it up with a screwdriver, but if you're opening up your iPhone, if you're able to get to the battery, uh, you are probably smart enough to not kind of jack it up with your with a metal yeah. sharp is metal. That yeah, a and real I mean, concern? you know, I think the the real question is, you know, obviously there are concerns with safety um if if people are opening up their their products, but you know, does that immediately mean that, you know, giving the manufacturer total control over who gets to repair it is the best way to do that? I mean, you know, look at the the whole VW emission scandal right now, right? Mm -hmm. You know, VW says, "No, no, you're not allowed to to open up your car to figure out how like the emission system works. We can sure. we can make that like a copyright violation." But then we find out that you know they've been cheating the whole the system all along. Right. Um. So you know, you know, certainly there are safety concerns, but you know, I don't think that automatically means that you know the manufacturers are the ones who should be um th that they're the only ones who should be allowed to do things as a result. Right. There are also a lot of companies at this convention whose business is to repair phones, and who's to say that you can't be you know certified by someone to be a proper repairman um there's obviously not a safety issue if you know what you're doing um and 
the best repair people in the world are not Apple employees. They are people like Trent and there are people who are like doing these board level mm-hmm. repairs where they're literally using a microscope and tweezers and like hot soldering guns to like take apart these complex electronics that if you gave that phone back to Apple, they would strip it for parts and sell it to someone else. They wouldn't even try to repair it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is that, you know, competition is a good thing. Um, you know, if you have lots and lots of different people who can provide repair services, you know, the ones that, you know, come up with, you know, new and, you know, particularly effective ways of repairing devices, um, you know, they're going to rise up to the top and people will use their services. But, you know, if, if companies can say, can stop everybody else except for, um, you know, their own their own repair service or some sort of like license service um, that they authorize, then, you know, potentially that means that the quality goes down because there aren't as many people in the market doing it. Um, you know, if they if they didn't have people like Trent with that sort of special expertise about, um, you know, going in with the tweezers and the microscope and everything, um, you know, we may we may not have that that sort of ability um, because the Apple technicians may not have that sort of knowledge. Right. So you mentioned the legal uh, types of recourses manufacturers try to do to make this illegal, but there are also a lot of ways they kind of disincentivize it. Um, what are some of those? Yeah, I mean, so you know, obviously they put in they put in lots of um, terms into the contract. They'll void warranties, um, and you know, a lot of times they'll just make it really physically hard to do it. Right. Um, I think that on on some of the more recent iterations of, of the iPhone, for example, they use you know specialized screws and they have like wires that are really hard to pull apart. Um, so you know they 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 make it pretty difficult um, to you know try to open up your device um, and repair it. I mean, I remember when I had I think it was an iPhone four, and you know it just took a regular screwdriver to open it up, you know, swap the battery out, and you know I got you know an extra six months on my phone. You know these days um, with with the, with the newer devices. Um, you know, the recommend the recommendation is you can't open up that phone yourself because it's just so difficult to do it. Now, I think, you know, a lot of people have, um, you know, put together, put together like tool packages and instruction manuals on how to do it, but it's a lot harder than it used to be. And, you know, that's kind of unfortunate because I like being able to replace my battery. You know, I like being able to get that, that extra six months out of my phone. Right. That's primi- primarily why I went to this convention to write about a company called iFixit, which is kind of like a do-it-yourself repair manual site they basically set up a bunch of wiki pages um, and have step-by-step instruction on how you can open your phone and repair basically anything and it's not just phones they have like a how to sew a button onto your shirt and like all sorts of crazy stuff like that and they have been kind of a real thorn in apple's side because when that when apple switched to these pentalobe screws which you know kind of look like a star shape um, iFixit is the company that made a screwdriver that anyone could buy to open that. And, you know, there's just been kind of like these back and forth little skirmishes. It's almost like a cold war going on between iFixit and Apple. And Apple doesn't really acknowledge their existence, um, more Until or less. Until it pulled iFixit's app from the App Store last month. Exactly. Until recently. And um, what happened there, Adrian? Um, so, uh, it looks like Apple sent iFixit an Apple TV and iFixit did what it does, which is take it apart. And Apple claimed that that was a violation of their contract and then retaliated by, uh, revoking iFixit's developer permissions, which you need in order to get an app into the app store. So iFixit lost, they had an app, which I guess was a, a guide the same kind of stuff that's on the website that was in the app store and now it's gone. 
yeah, the people at iFixit were, said, that's a damn good app. We spent a lot of time working on it and <laughs> it they was. took it down. Yeah. Um, they were very upset about that. Yeah. yeah, I've I've used I haven't used their app before, but I've used their website a lot to you know repair my computer. Um, you know I've replaced the keyboard, I've replaced um, the trackpad in um, in friends' computers. Um, you know their their guides are really helpful. Um, and you know they've they've saved me from having to you know purchase new computers several times. Yeah, yeah, I mean, me to too. To me, this just seems like clearly a force for good in the universe. Right. So I fix its entire mission, and we'll get into this in a feature story that I'm writing based on this, but their entire mission is to basically uh, reduce waste. Because if you break your screen and then think that your phone is then like useless and you throw it into a drawer or, God forbid, like throw it in the trash, that is a ton of, you know, rare earth mining. Like a lot of, a lot of stuff went into that phone that you are then taking completely out of the ecosystem. Um, and they basically goes to like trash heaps in India and Ghana where like children pick through it and get, I mean, if it even makes it there, that's, that's in theory, potentially a better outcome than it sitting in your drawer forever until it's completely useless. And then you throw it in the dump, um, because even if it's picked through in a trash heap in Ghana, you know, those components are getting reused. Yeah. But it's still super wasteful to send your phone from New York to Obviously, yes. I mean, it, none of it's a good outcome. The the good outcome is you you know buy a new screen and you fix it yourself, or right. you take it to someone. Yeah, else. or maybe Apple like makes phones to try to make them last longer. Like, what if Apple had like the six, the six S, and the six like super lasts a long time version, <laughs> and you could buy that, and it would be twice or three times as expensive, but they would guarantee it for. 10 years or something so yeah. i think one of the most nefarious thing that things that is going on right now is this idea of loaner phones and lease phone lease programs where you don't own your phone you don't own your phone so you can't repair it because if you open it up it's not your phone you're leasing it so it makes sense in that sense to you know yeah that's a good point so if if you go and get one of these new phones um from a carrier that's not doing contracts anymore which i think is everyone now then could you actually get in actual legal trouble for repairing it? Well, I mean, you know, if you're if you're leasing a phone, right? You know, it's like it's like leasing anything else, right? You're you're required to return it at some point. Um and so, you know, I, I guess that um, you know, you could you could get in trouble. Um I think the really scary thing is that, you know, normally you have the option to lease or buy, right? You know, if you want if you want to buy something, you wanna own it, you get you can pay a little more money and then, you know, with it's yours and you're supposed to be able to do with what with it whatever you want but you know as we move into this world where companies you know use all of these intellectual property rights and tons of contracts and you know all sorts of other techniques um to keep you from um from doing what you want with your devices it looks like you really don't have an option like everything's a lease right you know you may you may think that you own your phone but if you can't fix it and you know the battery dies after two years and you have to throw it out you might as well have just leased it for two years that's right. you know it's, it's kind of sad that you don't have that that sort of option to you know make your stuff last right and that's i mean they make it so attractive to lease your phone you know it's only slightly more expensive and you're paying 20 bucks a month versus paying 800 up front and i'm leasing my phone right now and i don't feel good about it at all but my previous phone was not working and I wasn't happy with it and I did sell it to someone so hopefully someone else is happy with it but I was very unhappy with it and I wanted a new phone and my contract wasn't up 
and I did not have $800 sitting around. And so I'm using this Apple pay $28 a month and you get a phone for, you know, a year and then they replace it in a year and then presumably sell it to someone else, sell my phone to someone else. And that's kind of a bummer because I really like tinkering with these things and opening, opening them up. But frankly, I just couldn't afford to buy one. Um, and I think a lot of people are taking that option right now. So what what's next for this? Like you mentioned, there's a case that's on appeal now. Is this, it, it definitely seems like as software gets into everything and um, companies have more of an interest in protecting their stuff and selling you repair services, that it's like they're getting more aggressive. Yeah, no, I, I mean, they definitely are. So, you know, there's there's this appeal on the patent case that's going on. Um, you know, there'll probably be a decision on that. Um, the case is, is Lexmark versus Impression Products. Um, that'll probably be decided, you know, in a couple months. Um, very likely to go to the Supreme Court, actually. Um, and then, you know, on the other side, you know, the, the anti-circumvention DMCA Section 1201 stuff. Um, the... So that's the... Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which recently went through a process where it grants exemptions for copyright violations so that people can do things without, like research, without fear of being sued for copyright violation. Doesn't it feel like the librarian of Congress is given so much power, like over this one law? It's the library yeah, of Congress. It's, it's the library of Congress, it? okay. and if you think about it, you not know, the library of Congress. Yeah, the, the library, library of Congress. one person, right? <laughs> okay. You know, somebody who presumably is hired for their library skills, right, is now deciding stuff about computer security uh-huh. and vehicle emissions right. and pacemakers, right? They're doing all of this stuff that you know just seems so far out from um, from what you would imagine a copyright off or. Um, a, a librarian doing, um, but yeah, I mean that's that's what happens when people start trying to use copyright law to be the you know product enforcer, right? Mm-hmm. You end up with this weird situation where where the librarian ends up um, having to decide all sorts of technology issues. So the exemptions that were granted were like. What, what were the, some of the exemptions um, that were granted so this year? They, they granted a lot of exceptions. Um, you know, I think there, there was one on car security research. There was one on, um, you know, retrieving data from, from implanted medical devices like pacemakers mm-hmm. and, um, and insulin pumps. Both um, security research with a lot of safety concerns, real world safety concerns for people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the, the interesting thing is, and, you know, I, I think there were like 14 of these granted. Um, but the, the librarian of Congress really tried to split the baby with a lot of them saying like, okay, so, you know, you're, you're going to be allowed to, um, to open up your devices and like get the stuff that you want, but you have to follow all of these rules and, you know, the rules, like you have to disclose your, um, security findings after a certain amount of time, um, or like you have to, you have to only open up the car in a certain way. Um, and I think, you know, that, that really is where you start to see the, um, the, the breakdown of, you know, a librarian trying to decide technology issues, because a lot of these lines that, um, that they end up drawing, it's not entirely clear why they're drawing those lines, um, other than the fact that, you know, they're just trying to, like, not give, not give the entire exception. Right. Yeah. This is not to disparage librarians either. It's <laughs> no. just to say that it, they, this power should not be put in their hands. In this one person's right. hand. Right. And if you're interested in DMCA exemptions, Sarah Jong wrote a really good story for it us on motherboard called uh, DMCA rulemaking is an uncontrollable garbage train. So you should check that out. Yeah. And one of the exemptions granted this year was for the right to repair farm equipment. Like John Deere wanted to make it illegal to repair 
a John Deere tractor. That seems so and, insane to me. Like, mm-hmm. where are you going to find a an official John Deere repairman on your farm in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, so there's a photo of this guy, Kyle, who started iFixit, and he's literally on a farm with a bunch of farmers who are, you know, petitioning the Librarian of Congress to allow them to repair their tractor, which is, that's, if you can have, like, the mental image of, you know, a farmer who presumably knows very little about copyright law, like lobbying for the right to take apart that this machine that they've always taken apart because tractors break all the time because presumably they're going over like a bunch of rocks in the field and stuff. I don't know anything about farming. <laughs> yeah. knows a lot about <laughs> They're Sorry. tilling the soil, right? I don't know what a tractor is. What even is a tractor? <laughs> um, yes, but it, it's crazy. It's, yeah. it's totally crazy. And I mean, you know, you think about it, right? You know, what does what does copyright law have to do with a tractor? And, you know, the answer is there's software in the tractor, just like there's software in your car. Um, and that's kind, of, that's kind of the way that they've, they've managed to say, oh, yeah, because of the fact that there's software in there, there's a copyright interest. And so we can, um, you know, we can use this anti-circumvention copyright law in order to um, stop you from repairing your stuff. Right? So what do you think, like, the average person who owns a phone that's going to break at some point or an Xbox that's going to break or that they want to mod somehow to make it more awesome what's what should they be paying attention to and what should they be worried about like i mean realistically i'm not really like i replaced the back on my phone um and i guess if i tried to do something under the warranty then somebody might notice but yeah i mean i think the nice thing is now you know we live in a world where you know it's not like there's only one company making phones right you've got you've got like apple and but you've also got samsung and htc like a whole bunch of companies so you know hopefully we maintain that sort of competition and hopefully part of that competition is that some of these phone companies say look you know there's a there's a customer base who wants to be able to tinker with their stuff you know maybe we'll cater to them and they'll be more likely to um to purchase our our phones um so you know hopefully you know the the fact that there are other companies out there um who are making competing devices um ultimately ends up helping out in that way right there's a new company out of europe who's making a phone called fairphone and they are selling parts and like design um, repair manuals and tools to open the phone and I think that's that's probably where this is going, but I mean, it, it's hard to say because many, many of the manufacturers seem to be on the side of we should be the ones getting this second cut of the pie, this repair market. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I think that the right to repair is something that a lot of people value, um, a lot of people being like lawmakers, perhaps, and, and the Librarian of Congress. And, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't see it necessarily going away. At least I didn't get the sense that it was going to go away at this conference um, because there are a lot of people pushing for this right to repair. Um, yeah, so where do you see this going? Uh, because I don't I don't think that the right to repair is going to go away necessarily, but I also don't know that manufacturers are going to kind of cow, cow-toe to this and say, hey, here are parts because a, a huge problem is there's no parts available for an iphone you have to buy them on a, the gray market have you heard about mm-hmm. the 3d printing revolution oh god <laughs> <laughs> okay so Sounds like I, the I next mean, podcast no, are, are we, seriously are we gonna 3d print like i mean a you could imagine and... like well, no, but well, you can 3D I mean, print some stuff. I wouldn't say no quite yet, right? I mean, you know, right now we're just 3D printing plastic stuff, but, you know, they got 3D printers that can do metal. Like, they can probably do circuit boards soon. Um, I've seen a 3D printer that can print sugar, 
right? It can it can make structures mm -hmm. out of sugar. So you know, um, when you know when that technology develops, you know maybe we will be able to make lots of these parts, and you know that would be that would be a really cool situation. Yeah, yeah, so many electronic sugar products. <laughs> well, like no. so, the thing that I replaced on my phone was the back, which had a crack in it. You could three D print the back of a phone. Right. So you know, the next time you throw a phone against the wall, it'll just be sugar. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Did your uh, did the back of your phone have the Sony logo on it? It did, and I got another one with the Sony logo from you... some sketchy Chinese online retailer. Yeah, and it's hard to say. Like, is that an original part or is it counterfeit? And we have no idea. It could very well be a real Sony part. It could be like a f a thing that fell off the back of a truck. Exactly, kind of or it could be you know another person's phone broke, the screen broke, and they sent it in, and they harvested it for parts, and the back was fine. It's. But it could they have well a lot a of them available, part. so I think it's I think it's either like a real part or it's uh, made a fake that's made to look like the real part. Exactly, and it could very well be a fake part made by the original like factory. It's kind of a wild guess <laughs> out there. Yeah, you mean like the same factory that manufactured it for Sony just did a second run that they yes, sold on that Alibaba? Happens. That happens. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. Bless China's heart. Like they're the they're the only ones helping us fight back against this <laughs> tyranny. Yeah. I think that regardless of where this goes legally, people are going to want to repair their phone and they'll probably do it illegally and hope for the best. And I think a huge takeaway from this convention is that it's really not that hard. Um, it's kind of scary to open up a phone for the first time. But if you have these step-by-step -step guides and videos and parts that I fix it and a lot of other people are providing, it's not that scary. And it's something I recommend everyone try because it's really fun to do. You had fun when you repaired your phone. I had so much fun, but it took forever. Yeah. So if you've ever repaired a device, please let us know. Um, if you have never repaired a device and have a broken screen, you should buy one on eBay and try it yourself and let us know how it goes. All right. Well, that's it for this show. Uh, thank you so much, Charles, for being here. And thanks, Trent, for uh, talking to me earlier. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. All right. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening.